0: Rise and shine, dear listener, rise and shine. Not that I wish to imply that you have been sleeping on the job. No one is more deserving of a rest, and all the effort in the world would have gone to waste until, well, let's just say your hour has come again. The right man in the wrong place can make all the difference in the world. So wake, dear listener, wake up. And get ready to take another trip down memory card lane. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. I hope that these words find you well. Hello and welcome to the 12th episode of our video game nostalgia podcast, A Trip Down Memory Card Lane, where we talk about important game releases during this current week in gaming history and make up partially relevant topics about them. Today, we're going to be looking at 2004's Half-Life 2. As always, I'm joined by my co-host, The Head Crab that always manages to mess up my secret underground hidden reactors, my brother Rob Casson. Rob, how do you do today?
1: Uh I do. How is do it, you do?
0: Is this like Descartes? I think therefore I am. Isn't that Descartes?
1: Uh Descartes is something you drive.
0: <laughs> Jesus Christ. That is not gonna go over well with some people. <laughs> The car is something you drive. Oh my god, ladies and gentlemen, that's the entire kind of lowbrow humor you can expect from the rest of this podcast. It is literally that was the best we have. It is downhill from here. I promise you that. <laughs> Rob, it's cold here in the south. It was like forty degrees in the morning.
1: Oh, well, it's not so far off of here. I uh, thirty two on my uh, thermo or my car's uh, thermom. Therm- wow.
0: You I had 32 on, on my car's car.
1: thermostat today.
0: <laughs> Are you recording from your car? Is that what it is? You had to go look at the thermostat?
1: Well, no. When I was leaving for work today.
0: Yeah, your high is like 40, isn't it?
1: Uh, I have no idea. I was inside all day.
0: Mm, yeah, that's... uh. Us Southerners, we don't take to the cold too well. That was a really bad Southern accent. Yes, you know, it was. Whenever we hear on any show... Uh, quote, quote, New Orleans accent, we crack up, like all of us crack up, because there isn't a New Orleans accent. Like, it's a melting pot of people here, and like every show, they just exaggerate some of them so much, and it's so flippin' hilarious.
1: Well, that's because, uh, uh, never mind. I, I don't know. I'm not going there.
0: Yeah, good try. Good try.
1: I was gonna make a Bayou joke, but.
0: Down in the that's Bayou. Bayou. Down in the Bayou. <laughs> <laughs> it's Bayou. The bayou's down by you. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Ain't gonna dangle every day. Won't talk like this. are gonna get this on the camera. you don't want to get this Boomhauer.
0: That's it.
1: See, I mean that's that's the thing. Boomhauer's the only one.
0: That's very but, true. Boomhauer is the only one, and he makes yeah. perfect sense.
1: Oh, and wa- uh, what was the guy's name from Waterboy?
0: Oh yeah, I love the Waterboy. I don't remember the name though, but the the swap guy. I love that guy. Yeah.
1: And then I guess there's uh, uh, home is where you make it. You like see home I, I was naked.
0: I I went for a hike last weekend through a boardwalk that went through a cypress swamp. It was a uh, pretty beautiful in the actual swamp. Well, no I'm gator. No gators. We didn't see any gators. We were looking, but we didn't see any gators. So
1: yeah, it's no fun.
0: You know, there's never been one recorded gator attack in the state of Louisiana ever.
1: You know, recorded
0: people, that's probably <laughs> 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 that's probably true that's probably true we live near a uh, a gator uh rehab like a gator uh, ranch i don't remember what it's called up top of my head right now but it's one of the most successful animal rehab facilities in terms of birthing populations and they've done it with gators and uh yeah, you can learn a whole lot of really neat things about gators really close by to us. So
1: tastes like chicken.
0: I actually have some alligator in my freezer that I've never used to cook. I meant to make like some alligator, I don't know, gumbo or something like that. And I just never got around to it.
1: Yeah, I've been trying to get one of my coworkers to make me venison chili for a while. It ain't working.
0: Yeah. Yep, 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 yep. So this week in gaming history... November 16th, 2004, Valve, a name we probably don't hear very much anymore because all they're known for is Steam nowadays, Valve was once a a video game publisher. Did you know that? That they made video games at one time?
1: Yes, I did, Dave. I've actually played a uh, few Valve titles,
0: I believe. Like what?
1: Well... I have played Portals 1 and 2, as well as Team Fortress, uh, Left for Dead, and uh, CSGO.
0: But you have omitted the very game we're going to talk about today, haven't you?
1: I sure have, Dave. <laughs> oh, I've also played Gary's Mod.
0: So who's yeah. going to carry this episode? This guy.
1: Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I have some knowledge here.
0: That's all right. I, I actually really enjoy, kind of like a few weeks ago when we did the political episode, I really enjoy opportunities to teach people about things. So today you're going to get schooled on 2004's Half-Life 2. Half-Life 2 has the distinction for being the first game that required Steam to install. Very first one. And that's actually when I joined Steam is when I bought Half-Life 2. So in case you're curious about how long I've been on Steam, 16 years. Fun fact. Wow. I know. Well, back then, Steam wasn't a store. Steam was developed as a way for Valve to update their games more efficiently. The The store part and all that came way later. And, and I'm, I mean, honestly, now that's what they're known for. They're sure, certainly not a game developer. Snicker, snicker, snicker. Half-Life 3, where are you?
1: <laughs>
0: Although they came out with Half-Life Alex this year, which, you know, is great if you're in the virtual reality ecosystem, of which I'm not. I still haven't played it, to be honest. So, Nor have I. Yeah. Rob, do you remember your first Steam title?
1: Um, you know, I actually... I had chosen to go to Steam and look at my recent activity list just to see if I could remember. Because I thought always that it was Borderlands 2, but it seems that I actually had Steam in 2012 and that my first game, I don't know if it was the first one, but the first one that I can actually recall playing was Cryostasis.
0: That's a throwback. Can you go on there somewhere and look up where you're like your library? Like by date? Yeah, go to
1: your libraries and then you can sort by recent activity. It's the little clock looking thing.
0: Sort by recent activity.
1: Right and next to where you filter.
0: Yeah, I see. Mm-hmm. And then there's a whole thing that just says no related activity. <laughs> and that's where everything else goes in. Yeah, yep. I don't think. I don't think. I don't think it's going to show me. You know, somewhere there's got to be a way to like look at your purchases by date or something like that. Yeah, I
1: was reading that you can go to your Steam.com activity and just scroll until it's the first one. I just couldn't remember how to log into my Steam. Actually, the first game that I ever played on Steam was Dungeon Defenders, thanks to you. Nice. Yeah, Very now nice. that I recall. Because I have a sooner playtime than that by about six months from Borderlands 2. I just... Cryostasis is in my thing, but it doesn't show a played date. So I must have just watched a playthrough of that and not played it. Yep, so Dungeon Defenders is the first played game I have.
0: Very, very nice. Very nice. Okay, alright. So, off track, but we'll get back on. So, um, Half-Life. Half-Life is a first-person shooter developed by Valve in which Gabe Newell, the, the the CEO or president of, I don't know which it is, of Steam, he wanted to develop a game that redefined the first-person shooter genre with advanced physics systems and and um, non-player characters and and all that jazz. Half-Life 2 combined shooting and puzzles and storytelling to, to bring together this really great Honestly, it's an awesome it's an awesome game. It really is. So, I played it recently. I'm not gonna lie. It, you know, it's a game that I pick up every so often. But in preparation for tonight's episode, I picked it up again, and I it's still a good game. I, I don't know any way to put it. I mean, we'll talk about it throughout the rest of this episode. But it's still an absolutely excellent game. Really, really, genuinely is. So, you know, the it just it is it just drops you right in so the first half-life rob okay mm-hmm. so the plot of the first half-life and the first half-life was just as revolutionary it was one of the earliest games i can remember that dropped you into this just awesome just dropped you in the middle uh of a world like like a world that wasn't ours per se it was pretty great and uh, i just uh, in the first half-life you're a scientist in uh, Black Mesa, which is a, a, a underground facility government. I, I don't you know one of those. Give it whatever moniker you want. And in this facility, all these scientists, they they accidentally open a portal to a dimension of aliens. And you know, then the aliens attack the facility, and the main scientist, Gordon Freeman, has to fight through the facility and then enters the portal and then takes care of business. And then the game kind of, uh, of ends. Right. And at the end of the game, you basically, you get put into stasis by, uh, mysterious G man. That's all. That's what we call him. The, the G man. So now for half life two, the portal being opened at the end of, you know, the portal being open, it attracted the attention of what's called the combine. They're a multi-dimension empire that conquered the earth in roughly about seven hours after that portal got opened, you know, sometime after all this happens, Gordon Freeman is is brought out out of stasis by the G man and he's inserted into what's called city 17, which is uh, just a, a, one of the human cities under lockdown by the combine. The combine is just this evil empire that, you know, it, 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 they there's checkpoints everywhere and I'm, um, you know, probably food rationing and, and they just, the aliens have the humans under lockdown. And so Gordon Freeman, the free man, no less, you know, gets inserted into the city where he meets up with the resistance and they work to fight against the combine. So, I mean, I guess in a nutshell, that's the plot from half-life one and half-life two.
1: That it is Dave, very simplified, but it gets <laughs> the point across.
0: <laughs> so look, I, I gotta tell you, uh, I have very fond memories of Half Life Two. I think I think a lot of people are going to have uh, fond memories of Half Life Two. It was a gateway for a lot of people, um, you know, that got into PC gaming. Uh, Rob, do you you said that we played Dungeon Defenders um, on Steam, correct? Correct. Do you remember? Was there a game? And it may be different from you because you grew up around me and I always had them. But was there a game that you can say, hey, this got me into PC gaming? Like, do you do you have games in your battlefield
1: 1942?
0: You know, there you go. So that was it. So that was the game that you had to play the PC for huh?
1: that it was. And honestly, it was the start of my love of PC gaming. And to this day, I still love the Battlefield franchise because of it.
0: I think that, and I know I've talked about this before, that current generations don't get the same experience that I think a lot of us had growing up, in that technologically, video games have come a long, long, long way. Okay?
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
0: And with every generation growing up, the technological leaps were massive. You know, when we went, for instance, from 16 bit to or th- even 32 bit to 3D, I mean the advent of, of Mario 64, that was was mind blowing. Absolutely mind blowing. And I don't think and especially this week, right? Because this week we we're we're right in the week We're a week out of launch of the new Xbox and the new PlayStation 5, right? Um, Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5. So here's the next gen right in it. Rob, can you tell me, I guess, in the context of the new launch of the titles, what makes this generation of titles so spectacular? No. Do you know what's better about the current next gen systems?
1: Uh, I'm assuming better graphics and processing power, but I haven't True. really looked into it because, honestly, and, I, I and it's low not that big a deal. And low oh time. yeah, I'm sure they're using solid state drives so that load time is reduced.
0: But that's but that's exactly my point. My point is is like when the Nintendo 64 came out, for instance, we were all floored by 3D graphics and you know, um, the PlayStation. When the PlayStation came out and we had a virtual fighter and, and and Tekken, I can remember early games where we had polygon graphics, we were floored by the advent of, of these 3D polygon graphics, you know? And, and even I with
1: do- the Xbox 360, I remember seeing the first time the graphics on it and I even remember Mom asking, is that really a video game? It looks so realistic.
0: Yeah, and I don't... Mm, I don't know if we're ever going to be able to experience that again. I, I just don't know if we're ever going to be able to experience that again. You know? Yeah, and,
1: I, I don't know. That's a good point. Never really had thought about it.
0: And, and the point is, is that I can think of in my history. I just named, you know, Nintendo sixty four, and I named, you know, um, Tekken and and that. I can think of games that were certain games that. I, were game changers. They were games that stick out in my memory as something, as a moment in which things are going to change. And I distinctly remember this being one of them. You know, it was 2004. I was living with my best friend Eric in an apartment just off campus of college at the time. And we had built new computers. Coincidentally, it wasn't related to this, but we had just built new computers. and. I mean, it was related to this because it was anticipation of stuff like this. But I remember popping the disc in and having to wait for Steam to do its thing, to do its updating. And the initial screen loading up, which is just a... Like, when you you start the game, all that loads up is G-Man's face and he's talking to you. And at the time, it was photorealistic. And his his mouth was moving in sync with the audio, and I just remember standing there, like, in awe, like, with our jaw down, going, holy shit, this is the future of gaming. Like, th- this is it. Like, the- this is the next revolution for us, and-, and this is what we had to look forward to. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I... Again, you know, as we go through this podcast, there's a lot of games, you know, we're talking about and and there are games that are going to do that. Uh, And I don't know. I don't know if it's my age. I don't know if it's technology. I don't know if it's just where the game industry is going as a whole. But I don't I don't get the sense of that. I don't get excited for that. I don't. Yeah, the graphics are better, but are the graphics that much better? I, I don't know, honestly. I, I don't have the answers. I just...
1: A couple things that I consider with that, though, is one, we have PCs, so we generally upgrade them. If not, you know, we generally upgrade our PCs not very often, but often enough that we keep up with some pretty top-notch graphics, generally much farther ahead than what these consoles have been doing in previous years. So the graphics aren't really anything that are in shock and awe for us. The other thing to consider is that we just don't have the time that we used to when we were younger to play these games. So it might look awesome and it might sound like a great thing, but when you think about, man, am I really going to have time to sit down and play that thing, or is it just going to sit in the corner collecting dust? It really takes away from that shock and awe, that joy, that desire to go and get it first day and play play down with the new games, you know, at least in my opinion.
0: Yeah, maybe. You might be right about that, but I just, I don't know. I, I, and don't get me wrong, I still get excited about games. I'm excited for Cyberpunk, which we should be playing by now. But, you know, I, 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 I do get excited for games, but I just don't get, I don't know, I don't get floored. I don't know about that. I get drawn into worlds. Like, there's moments, you know, that I think are really awesome playing horizon zero dawn recently there's some pretty awe-inspiring moments in it i guess i guess that's not true i guess i do get drawn into moments um that are really awesome but i gotta tell you so half-life well you know what i'll cover that in a little bit you know we were talking about about the game that got you into into pc gaming right right and i'm not the only one that you know that that has fond memories of half-life when there's a lot of reviews on Steam in which people attribute this game for getting them into PC gaming. So, for instance, Archimist here on Steam writes, The year was 2004. Friends had its series finale. The Apprentice had its premiere. And I, as a young teenager in a small town, spent long winter afternoons at my friend's house playing video games. It was always at his house. He had a shiny new G4 6800 compared to my aging voodoo. PC games never really held much more than a passing fascination for me, since any game worth playing was available on a console, largely Nintendo ones at that. What a fool I was. On Christmas, he received a copy of a computer game he said would change everything. That game was Half-Life 2. That December changed everything. We were the right man in the wrong place. We picked up the can. We learned why we don't go to Ravenholm anymore. We launched barrels into the sky just to watch them fall. My PC had no chance to deal with all the physics calculations, let alone the lighting and particle effects. It ran, at best, 15 frames per second. So I played the whole thing with my friend, then I upgraded my computer, and explored the world of City 17 once more. A few years later, I upgraded again, and played again, and then I played Portal, and countless others. I upgraded once more, and I played more. This game is the reason why I got into PC gaming. This game is the reason why I have experienced the length and breadth of every game I've experienced since. Fast forward 15 years. Friends is the most streamed show on Netflix. The Apprentice is our president, and we will soon revisit City 17 in virtual reality. This game is no longer the technical marvel it was. Its innovations copied and improved upon by these developers who followed. The physics and lighting effects that brought computers to to their knees are now standard. Indeed... My mid-range build now runs this game at 300 frames per second. But the story, although unfinished, is still as engrossing as it ever was. Bleeding the existence against the Combine is just as exciting as it ever was. Gordon is just as enigmatic as he ever was. Half-Life 2 has aged, and it has aged well. It's still fun. It's still a masterpiece. But at that time, in the long nights and deep snows of December 2004, it was perfect i like that one a lot honestly that's that 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 dude can write not gonna lie hell yes he can Want to take the next one i sent you some i sent you some of these reviews to get you in the mood didn't i
1: sure dave so connor on steam writes i was 12 years old my uncle built me a computer my family didn't have internet and we booted up steam at his house installed half-life 2 and checked the box to boot in offline mode i had an amd athlon 64 dual core It might have been my uncle's old Voodoo GeForce 3, I can't remember, a whole one gigabyte of RAM. I also had a 12 gigabyte hard drive and a native CRT. I was ready to play the greatest game of my life. The second I saw G-Man's face was just... I had never seen animations like it. The lip syncing. The loading screens. Here I am 13 years later. 13 years later. I'm 26 with two kids. I play the series once a year as is my tradition, and I will always remember finally that time with my uncle loading Half-Life 2. Fantastic games and many cherished memories. God, <laughs> you that know, was... Okay, I'm sorry, Dave. That was really difficult to read. That guy is all yeah. over the place.
0: Yeah. You want to read the <laughs> next one?
1: Sure. Another user, Smokey, on Steam, writes, This was my all-time favorite game. I've been playing games since Mario Brothers on Nintendo. Get episode 1 and 2 if you don't have them. You must. This game is how I got into PC games. I had an Xbox. I wanted internet, so I got the internet. But I was stupid then. I didn't realize I needed a computer to get the internet working. So I bought a computer. I bought this game when I bought a computer because it was giving great reviews. And I remember my uncle telling me how great Half-Life was. I played the entire game at 7 FPS. Sometimes it would hit 15. I thought that was good. I'm not kidding. I had no idea what I was doing then. Then I bought a graphics card. Then I bought RAM. All to play this wonderful game. Then I began to build my own computers.
0: You know, it's funny that these more than one review talks about playing this game at 7 frames per second or 15 frames per second. We wouldn't put up with that kind of shit nowadays, I'm not going to lie. But I remember back in their early PC gaming days, I was thrilled just to get a game to work on my computer. I didn't give a crap how it ran and so i i can completely relate i remember i remember playing one of the the very first nascar game for pc and it was a trial to get it run on the computer and then when it finally did run it didn't run the greatest but i didn't give a crap because i had this really cool nascar 3d game where i could wreck everything running on my computer you know absolutely so yes this was one of those games that got universally well-reviewed and that everyone wanted to play and so it it wasn't released on anything else at the time. It would eventually find its way to consoles through Orange Box, which we'll talk about. Um since you brought up Portal, it'll be a good good segue at some point. But um you know, at first this was PC only and and you know, things were like that at one point. You know, we have console exclusivity nowadays, but you know, we had PC exclusivity. Well, I mean, we had everything exclusive at one point. So, this was one of those games that set the bar. You know, like I said, I, it, it blew my mind. You know, um, the graphics were unlike anything we ever saw. The physics were like anything we ever saw. The lighting effects, the particle effects, it, it was just one of those games that was next level. I think that this was one of the first games to take advantage of DirectX 8, 9, one of those DirectXs. And I felt like every time a new DirectX version would come out, it would up where the graphics were. Like, every everyone was like a new generation of graphics, and this was definitely one of the ones that were on there, you know? Um, I think of other games that that did the same thing. Like, when we got Crisis, for instance, you know, we joke around that Crisis brings computers down to its knees. That's the way it was. That's the way it is still to this day, you know what I mean?
1: <laughs> yes, I've definitely heard many times that Crisis is one of the true break-in games for a PC.
0: Yeah, I don't, you know, I... I mean, it's so funny we still talk about it that way. But for the longest time, the benchmark for how computers did was to, whether or not they could play Crisis and how fast they could play Crisis, or how many frames per second they could play Crisis. And I'm pretty sure that persisted for a long, long time. It's always difficult. I know we talk about this week after week after week, uh, how people look at, you know, games when they review it for. And modern, you know. So if you were to go online and you were to buy this game today and play it, you may not look at it as fondly as, as as I do, or some of these reviews do. You know, we say we look at things through rose-colored glasses, or we joke around that it doesn't age well. You know what I mean? um And and that's definitely the case with Half-Life. You know, uh Snort Cannon here on Steam writes for a game that came out back in back in two thousand four. It still looks amazing. Now, while it does have some low-res textures, it still looks breathtaking like in the final chapters. On the other hand, Priz Eugene writes, Of course the Source Engine shows its age. Up-close textures get quite blurry, but the wider vistas are still amazingly alive, and the colors and general atmosphere are still exciting. The physics engine, a novelty back then, now surely feels outdated, even crappy, but playing around with the famous gravity gun more than makes up for this, and surely has its funny moments. But in every other respect, this game is a classic and a masterpiece in the true sense of the of the word. Oh, there's always two sides to every story. Uh, Rob, have you ever heard anything about the gravity gun?
1: Uh, I know that you could use it to manipulate a lot of the in-game uh, objects, as well as combine machines, I guess you'd call them. Similar to the turrets in Portal, there were the kind of like turrets that you could use the gravity gun and shoot the uh, enemy combines as yeah. well as these little flying drones that you could use to kill people and you could you had to use it to manipulate the environment as well
0: yeah but i gotta tell you one of everyone's favorite things and it is in raven home in raven home you had saw blades and you could use it to throw saw blades at enemies nice yeah, exactly. Like I gotta tell you, so one of the things, because like I said, I, I played I played half life. I, I, I maybe got through half the game recently. you know, and I'll, I'll finish it sometimes after you know after this recording. This game drops you right into city 17 and you know, you're, you're dropped right into city 17 and then you go through the city. and then almost right away you you get you get pulled aside and you meet up with the resistance and suddenly the combine is chasing you and it never lets go you know we have all these open world games nowadays which are a big thing and and stuff like that and in an open world you you can pace yourself right like you you go around and you do things and then you have your missions and 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 stuff like that but i don't I don't think there's as many games, and there's first-person shooters. I know you got your Call of Duty and stuff like that, but I don't think there's as many games that just drop you in the middle of action and put you on a linear path and don't don't let go. Like this this game is super exciting right from the get go, and for the you know six or seven hours I played of it, it just is nonstop. It was fun. I I don't I don't know. I I guess I'm weird that I don't feel like a lot of games are like that right now. Probably because we play so many open-world games and. You know, stealth games and stuff where you can pace yourself. But this is just like nonstop excitement. You know what I mean? Well, you don't know what I mean, but I'm telling you. (laughs) Yeah, I'm telling you, you know what I mean? So and the puzzles, you know, there's there's these early on there's puzzles, you know, again, they start right from the get go. So there's these creatures that hang from the ceiling and they have this little rope, which is their tongue. And if you get caught caught in it, they suck you up to the ceiling and, and hurt you, you know and they, they the game puts them in groups of uh, large groups and the way to get through them is to pick up an item, which again, this was novel at the time, you couldn't pick up random items, but in this game you could pick up a barrel and throw it at so the tongue sucks the barrel up and then it wasn't there for you to get through and or you could take a flaming barrel and throw a flaming barrel into it and shoot it so it' would explode and and kill them all. you know what I mean or There's one part early on where you're driving an airboat and the airboat you have to get from section to section. And so you have to create ramps. And there's this one really cool puzzle where you have to find floating barrels from a different part of the map and put them underneath this ramp to push it up and hold it up enough for the airboat to be able to create, you know, to create a ramp for the airboat to fly over it. There's teeter totter. There's a teeter totter early on where you have to pick up cinder blocks. And put center blocks on one side so it creates a ramp so you can get up to the other side of the room. And I know that these sound boring because they're the type of things that you you can find in a lot of games nowadays. But there was nothing, and I literally mean that there was nothing like it at the time. Period. I, there's there's nothing there's nothing else to say about it. It was it was just awesome. You know, I I don't know any other way to put it. It, it we had we didn't have physics. We we didn't have physics. We really didn't have physics until that point. We didn't have physics, narrative immersion. You know, there there weren't a lot of games that dropped you in. I'm not saying they didn't exist. There were a lot of great games with great narratives, but there was just something, something so next level about City Seventeen and the world building and getting dropped right into it. And it had great level transitions. Like it would transition between levels from a door to another it had vehicles it, you know i just said the airboat it's one of the earliest games i can i can remember with an airboat you know and 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 a dune buggy there's a dune buggy at some point and just these were i don't know man these were things that we didn't have before then it was it was it was awesome it was awesome that's all i can say about it is it was awesome all right so you know rob we've been talking about I've been talking about you know how Half Life was just such a, a freaking revolutionary game, you know, and we're in 2004, and then three years later, for the you know they re-released it with some of the games you were talking about on the consoles and the PC in the orange box. Did you ever own the orange box?
1: I did, yes, for but Xbox. But you didn't.
0: But you didn't end up playing the Half Lives. Honestly, you played everything else that was in the box
1: uh yes that is correct
0: okay all right so let's start with the the easy one no i'm just gonna (laughs) the easy one team fortress 2 you're team fortress 2 fan
1: it's an enjoyable game yes
0: did you play a lot of it
1: not a whole lot no i played a few games it was enjoyable but none of my friends really played and you know that kind of game is definitely more fun when you have people that you know
0: you never got into hats
1: uh no can't say i did
0: I remember that was like the earliest cosmetic item deal that was a big deal that I can remember was hats in Team Fortress 2. And then people started paying ridiculous money for hats in a video game. I think at one point Team Fortress 2 was like the most played game on Steam for a long time, honestly. That was a, that was a really good game. But moving away from Team Fortress 2, I'm going to assume that you spent a lot of time on Portal.
1: That I did.
0: Yeah, you're a Portal fan?
1: It is an enjoyable game, yes. I uh, spent a lot of time trying to figure out the puzzles and beat the boss at the end. It's it's a nice nice change of pace from the games I was used to playing at the time, which were mostly Halos and such.
0: I remember that hey, ha- Not Halo. Well, Halo blew my mind, but Portal. Portal was... God, something else. I mean, to have to wrap your head around... They have to wrap your head around it, you know what I mean? And then like you get through all the chambers and you're at the end and there's that famous scene, uh spoiler alert with the cake, you know, and the the cake is a lie, and then you spend just as much time not in the chambers, using all the stuff that you used learned while you were in the chambers, you know what I mean? Correct. And it's just I don't know. And then at the end you get rewarded with the cake. This is a triumph. <laughs> <laughs> the cake
1: is a lie, Dave.
0: I'm writing a note here. Huge success. I just remember that. That was freaking. That was... The Portal... Portal was an awesome experience, and then, of course, a few years later, we got Portal 2, which gave it to us in multiplayer, and I want a Portal 3. There is no Portal 3 in development. Just like we need a Half-Life 3. I don't know what the hell your problem is, Valve. I'm not gonna give you... More than $2.99 if I don't get a third version of some game in the series. I want a third, or you're never going to get my third ever again. That's not true. We (laughs) both know I'm probably going to go and buy something off Steam tonight. Just, you know. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, piece of candy. Ooh, (laughs) piece of candy. You You got that right there. Oh, I'm the freaking worst when it comes to buying games on there. I mean, just knee jerk. That looks like a good deal. Oh, that looks like fun. That looks like fun. That looks like fun. You know, we wouldn't have Portal if we didn't have Half-Life. You know, all the physics developments that they made, you know, with Half-Life led us to, you know, the, the physics. All the, the, man, the physics in Portal. Portal is a straight-up physics game. Portal is a, a bending physics, physics game, you know what I mean?
1: Absolutely, it is. It's mind-boggling, what you just the sheer level of complexity and, you know, going through a Portal
0: you know every time we talk about a game we always talk about all the people who kind of gush about it you know everyone loves it and 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 it can't do no wrong but for every person that we meet that loves it there there are people that hate the game too you know anyone who downright hates half life
1: i don't actually know anyone other than yourself who's played it in my friend group i'm sure that they have but none of them really talked much about it so i don't know their feelings <laughs>
0: man i this might be one of those games that is a straight up generation gap then you know because by the time you guys got into gaming, I don't know if you we we I don't think we ever really gave you a reason to play it. you know it doesn't it doesn't fit anywhere. It's not like the half life series has without a third one to bring it back into the gaming zeitgeist. there's no reason to go back and play the second one or the first one. you know, I think that's typically when we revisit old games in a series is when new games come out. And there isn't any new games out to make you want to go back. You know what I mean?
1: Absolutely, yes. I mean, obviously, if Valve would do their their job and, you know, obviously, if Valve would do what they're supposed to do and make Half-Life 3, then maybe there would be a reason.
0: And, I mean, we did get Half-Life Alex this year, which is a pre- prequel to, to him. But, I mean, it's virtual reality, and virtual reality isn't mainstream adopted yet. And so there's going to be a lot of people who you know probably won't play that until, until it gets. I will tell you though, the Half Life Alex is awesome. I mean, like the reviews for it are great. I've heard nothing but good things. You know, we talk about Half Life Two in the context of of something that's changed technology and supposedly half-life alex is a game that you know is setting a new standard for vr immersion and and that technology so we may not be a part of it but Valve is still working on games that are pushing the boundaries of technology and apparently half-life alex is one of those such games just not that part of a technology that we all take part in yet so that's kind of fun that it is dave thank you rob i really appreciate that like i was saying you know For every person we meet that's in love with game, we meet a person that's not in love with game. And I I wanted to draw everyone's attention to this review on Steam from Election Hacker who writes about Half-Life 2. And he writes, I love Valve games, but this game is seriously overrated. I don't know why it's a top-scoring game on Metacritic. Number one, generic story. There is nothing interesting in the story. It is neither intellectually stimulating nor particularly lore-rich. The world is immensely lacking in depth. Compared to some games, some games like Bioshock Infinite, this game's story, atmosphere, and immersion are laughable. Okay, fine. Let me address that. There's a lot of time in between Half-Life and Bioshock Infinite. Bioshock Infinite was what, 2009, 10, 11, 12? I I don't know, somewhere in there. The whole narrative industry had gone so far... I, I don't know. This is another one of those reviews that's going to irritate me because they're looking at it through modern standards and it's hard because at the time you didn't have anything to compare it to and you do now. Okay. Number two. Poor graphics. Of course, by today's standard, the graphics are incredible, incredibly wanting. But I'd argue that even back in the day, this game didn't have good graphics. In 2004... We had games like Halo 2 and Grand Theft Auto San Andreas that, that had graphics at least on par, if not better than Half-Life 2. Not to mention a lot of the models look awkward, like pictures a child would draw. I have trouble imagining what the combined vehicles would look like if they finally decide to make a Half-Life 3. Furthermore, the physics are nothing special. Both Halo 2 and Grand Theft Auto South or San Andreas had advanced physics with objects and vehicles. Man, I, I don't know. Do you feel, Rob, that Halo 2 is a good indicator of a physics engine? Like, do you feel that the physics in Halo 2 are just, wow? Are realistic? Or, you you know what I mean?
1: Uh, Honestly, Dave, I would have to go back and play the game. I mean, I think that for the time, it was pretty awesome, but, you know, it's... See, not anything.
0: Maybe Grand uh, Theft Auto, right? Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. You did play Grand Theft Auto San Andreas. I know you did. So what about that? Do you feel like that has good physics?
1: I feel it did a great job. Uh, I can't really off the top of my head think of anything that it, it was breaking. Other than obviously using cheat codes. I remember many times using a cheat code to fly a tank. I kid you not. I think we've talked about that once before.
0: <laughs> we have, yeah, uh, we have. We definitely we have when we talked about. I don't even know. Oh, books. We talked about those little gra- those little books that had all the cheat codes in them one time. Ah, uh,
1: yep, that's right. So, I mean, I just I don't. It, it was a phenomenal game, yes, but it's not mind-boggling. I don't think it was anything special. I guess comparatively, the other games in the day were, you know, on the same par. I feel.
0: Yeah, I guess Halo Two had decent uh, physics because you had the sticky grenades that you could throw everywhere, and Grand Theft Auto did too. But, I mean, I don't know. Half Life Two just did something with it. Like the physics are literally part of the gameplay, and that's like I'm not saying that it's not in Halo, but you're not you're not using weights to solve puzzles or floating floating barrels to solve puzzles or, you know, you're not, I don't, I don't, I don't know. You're not manipulating gravity to solve puzzles. Like, yeah, they had it, but they weren't, they weren't integral to the gameplay. And so I, I don't know if that's an apt comparison. All right, moving on. Number three, bland characters, even ignoring the ever silent Gordon. We know almost nothing about the other main characters. Oh, wait, There are only four main characters in this game, the G-Man, the Doctor, Alex, and her father. None of them are particularly memorable, and yet he can name all four of them, so you know, so unmemorable that he can name all the people. Number four, very average gameplay. There is nothing deep to it, just run around grabbing health packs and ammo and shoot everywhere. The gameplay is probably more simple than Call of Duty's. At least in Call of Duty there are some tactics involving grenades and flanking. Not at this game. You just go head-on and kill everything in your way. With the exception of the occasional puzzle that doesn't really contribute to the story, but just extends the length of this game. Jesus Christ, this guy doesn't give any credit where credit's due, does he? Not at all. And then he goes on to say, I really don't see how this is the top-rated game on Metacritic. Don't get me wrong, it's still a decent game, and back in the day it was probably among the best. But nowhere is this close to the best game of all time. (laughs) This is laughable. Recently, I have played a game called Serious Sam 3, and believe it or not, it felt more or less like Half-Life 2 with modern graphics and a more humorous tone. Nowhere is Serious Sam close to the best game ever, and nowhere is Half-Life 2 close to the best game ever. Even by 2004 standards, I would rate Half-Life 2 at 8 or 8.5 at best. Jesus Christ. I like how he compares Serious Sam is an arcade shooter. It's literally just running around shooting everything... Lots of enemies, big giant enemies, big guns. Big guns, big enemies. It's just literally just a shoot fest, you know? It. Uh, ugh. To put these in the same fucking category with one another, to say Serious Sam, uh, 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 that just makes me fucking angry. No. This dude gives no credit where credit's due. This this game, this game, I don't know. Maybe it's rose-colored glasses. But in 2004, I was 20, it's not like I was a baby at the time, you know what I mean? Like, I'm not looking at this like I was a... I mean, well, is still a formula to the time. I wasn't a child. It's not like I was six years old going, wow, that's the coolest thing ever, you know? Yeah, that's... yeah, you're right. You were old enough to have quite a grasp
1: on games. And had,
0: and had 20 years of games under my belt. Well, I mean, let's say, I don't know, 17 years of games under my belt. I don't know when I, when I played video games, you know what I mean? I don't know. Uh, yeah, I couldn't tell you. Well, Half Life Two is not the best game on Ste or Metacritic anymore. It's rated number twenty three of all time, and IGN did a list of top one hundred games that they keep going, and it's number eight. So no one, no one sees it as the best game of all time. You know, hey Rob, fun fact: next week we're going to be talking to talking about a game that is on top of at least one of those lists. Did you know that? No, I did not. Mm-hmm. But Half Life Two, I think Half Life Two was special in a lot of ways. Not only was it a really nice game, you know, that a lot of people enjoyed, but for a lot of us, it introduced us to Steam. You know, Steam may have just been a way to update games. Half Life may have been the first game to requirement, but before before Steam, Valve was just an indie studio. That was, you know, successful with Half Life, and then Half Life 2 came out and it really put Valve on the map with Steam. And then we got a storefront, you know what I mean? And the rest is history. Steam is now, if I'm not mistaken, the largest digital distributor of games in the entire world. I, I mean, would not
1: be surprised to find that out if no that one, is factually correct.
0: No one, ta- uh, do you, yeah, I mean, factually correct or not, it's not like you ever hear anyone go, oh, how many people are playing on Origin right now? Or how many people are playing on Epic right now? Like, literally, everyone says, you know, who who's doing what on Steam right now? All the news stories are there's, you know, 25 million concurrent Steam players, but we don't ever see people talking about the other online stores in that context. And And let's be honest, there are other online stores, you know, Blizzard and Bethesda and Epic and Origin and Xbox and... All of them get compared to the golden standard that is Steam. You know what I mean?
1: Yes, Dave. That is a fair point.
0: So you know, we briefly talked about Half Life. Alex, uh, Half Life. Half Life. Alex is a prequel to Half Life Two. It's set somewhere between the first and second games. You know, and like I said, you know, it it's 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 being reviewed people are calling it the best game of the year uh, you know at some point i'll adopt virtual reality and play it but it is a new technological standard for vr games you know um i find it really fascinating than some that even still you know valve is still releasing games that are on the cutting edge of gaming technology you know it's said that during the development of half-life 2 that Gabe Newell pretty much gave the development team a Blake check and said, look, I want a game that's going to be the cutting edge because if you're not working on a game that's not going to be the latest the greatest thing ever, what's the point of working on it? You know what I mean? Right. And so, we're what, 16 years later and waiting for I mean, we may have got Half-Life Alex, but we're wait. I mean, look, Half-Life 3 has become the running joke of the industry has it not? It
1: absolutely has.
0: You know, at one point we start. There's a term called vaporware. Do you know what vaporware is?
1: Doesn't sound familiar.
0: No. So vaporware are games that were like talked about, slash announced, and then never materialized. So for the longest time, the vaporware in the industry was Duke Nukem because after Duke 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 Nukem 3D, they always talked about a new Duke Nukem game, and until like mid 2000s we never got it i think there was like 13 14 15 16 years between Duke Nukem games and now here we are at 16 years uh 16 years for half-life 3 and we don't even have anything about half-life 3 we have no nothing no announcement no date no teaser no anything you know we all got excited hoping we were getting half-life 3 and we got half-life alex I mean, hell, for all we know, Half-Life Alex was Half-Life 3 at one point, and they just decided to redo it for VR and that, but I don't know, man. It's been 16 years, and we have an unfinished story, and it's a good story. There better be a damn good reason why we don't have Half-Life 3 now. A damn good reason. What do you think?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I haven't played the game, I don't know a whole lot about it, obviously, but... I do know that it has always been a growing meme that Half-Life 3 confirmed. I know there was a couple years where (laughs) that was pretty heavily said in college. Half-Life 3 confirmed is all that was said.
0: Yeah, right on. I don't know. You know, and I think about it. You know, we, we, I brought this up because every game that, that, not every game, but the majority of games that Valve come out with have been games that have defined something, a technology, or a genre, or... And, I, and I, I'm not even kidding. Think about all the success Valve has had, right? You've got the Half-Life series, which introduced generation to narrative first-person shooters. You've got Team Fortress 2, which was one of the first successful games that had a cosmetic model and made a ton of money on cosmetics you know it's got steam the largest digital distribution network in the world you got portal portal was mind-blowing in terms of a a physics you know puzzle Uh, for puzzle game period um left for dead right Left 4 Dead arguably started... It was the first four-person co-op game, if I'm not mistaken. That's a huge genre nowadays, and Left 4 Dead is where it all began. I mean, Valve has just had hit after hit after hit, and each of those games has been a technological marvel or has laid the groundwork of a whole genre of games. What's next? Like, what are they going to do with Half-Life 3? Like, what will be the technological masterpiece... Our technological thing that makes Half-Life 3 the next latest and greatest game ever. I mean, Rob, I, you know, we've been talking about it with the release of The Next Generation. But frankly, I don't know what is going to be the deal with the future of gaming. Like, what is going to be that next big, great technological step that gaming takes that likely, if if history repeats itself, Half-Life 2 is going to be the next the next one. I mean, can you think of anything? Can you think of anything?
1: I would have to say full-dive virtual reality.
0: You think that's where we're going, huh?
1: I mean, I don't know what else there could be. You know, I mean, it's it's definitely something that seems feasible.
0: I don't know. Like I said, we, we talk a lot. I like to talk a lot about how we don't get games anymore that push technology. I just don't know. I don't know what's next. And look, the gaming industry, I think, as a whole, is is we're getting away from the concept of hardware. You know, like I think the new Xbox is an absolutely perfect example. I think that the this industry is going digital. I think that Microsoft's future is in the Game Pass and the concept of games as a service, and that the console won't be the important thing. Moving forward, because we're going to get to a point where they're going to run all the computing stuff in a computer center in the middle of nowhere and stream it to us at, with no lag input whatsoever. And I really think that the you know projects like like Xbox's X Cloud um, and like PlayStation was it now where you could stream across. I really do, and well, Google Stadia. I'm sorry. I know I put it in the same vein, and I should have never spoken about it in the same breath. But technologically, it is the same concept. But I think these games as a streaming service is largely where the industry is going, frankly. I don't know. know, I don't think technology moves as fast as it used to. Didn't y'all prove me wrong with that with Moore's Law, though? Didn't someone prove me wrong that Moore's Law is still applicable? Didn't we cover Uh, that? Yes, that is correct. I think I was proved wrong. I don't know, man. I don't know. You got any thoughts on the matter?
1: Uh, i do not know i mean obviously i said you know i think the technology is moving towards deep full dive but i you know that's just speculation obviously there's nothing to point towards that that's a thing but <clears throat> the development with vr can only go so far at this point until you want to be more immersed in the game you have to be able to incorporate body motion and with body motion, you have to come figure out a way to have that motion translated into the game, but you might not have necessarily all the space to do, so, so you have to find a technology that will allow a reduced space to allow that to happen, which you know, who knows? they have uh the they have the prosthetics that can be controlled through the brain. It's not so far off to believe that that couldn't be used to control something in a video game.
0: Yeah, Rob, you're really crackly for some reason.
1: Uh, It's probably just my voice, Dave.
0: (laughs) Nah, it's something recording-wise. Well, Rob, if it wasn't obvious, you should go play Half-Life. I I do agree with some people that the graphics are not as mind-blowing as they used to be. I don't think that they age to the point where they're bad. I think that, in fact... They are right in line with a, with with games that maybe aren't AAA titles nowadays, which I think says a lot about the game and that it was probably years and years and years ahead of its competition. Uh, and we're just now catching up to the point where it's kind of in the middle ground with everyone else. But um, yeah, drops you right into the action, doesn't let you go. I think it's well worth a play. It's all you young whippersnappers out there. Highly recommended. It's definitely worth worth playing through and look you can go back and play the first one because they someone did a fan the the black mesa they they completely remade the original game in the current source engine so the graphics are on par with all the new stuff too so you can go and back and play the whole series all the main games
1: know. Oh, definitely have to give that a check
0: it's i mean it's only about a t- Eight to ten—it's probably ten-hour investment. It's not the longest game ever. It's worth playing through. You can sit down in two sittings and get it done. Uh, and and at the very least, you can throw saw blades around and chop zombies' heads off. Sounds like fun to me. It, it is a lot more fun. It is a lot more fun. You have any other questions about Half Life? Anything that maybe I didn't clarify? Well,
1: in my small amount of research. I did come across something known as the cabal process. Do you happen to know anything about that? What's the
0: cabal process?
1: I was hoping you could explain it a little better than I could. Do you have no idea about it?
0: No, am I supposed to remember it? Is it from the game?
1: No, it's about the creation of the game. It's essentially a the process that valve developed for creation of this game for the development of the game, in which, as opposed to having a lead developer a lead game designer the game was broken up into teams that consisted of three engineers a level designer a writer and an animator each having uh, responsibilities and at first the company was worried that it would cause a lot of issues and that people's egos would get in the way but they found that it actually was energizing for them because a lot of the people were tired of working in isolation and having no communication with the other groups. And they found that the results were designs of consistent level of polish.
0: That's fascinating.
1: It's actually a pretty interesting method. And honestly, I'm surprised that not more is known about it. I mean, I, I tried looking into more of it after I learned about it and the only thing that ever mentions is the the only thing that ever mentions the cabal process is half-life
0: 2. D- didn't they if i remember correctly i think that they started using it on the first one. Yeah, so they started the cabal process with the first half-life and they carried it over into just about every game after that. Well, i don't know about that, but at least through the half-life series. That's really fascinating. I had forgotten i'd forgotten all about that and i I think that that's really neat. The concept of breaking into little groups like that is very, very neat. That's a good one, Rob. Look at you out researching me a little bit. Woo. Yeah. Ready for the gaming question of the week? Hit me with it. I got two of them, actually. Ooh. All right. First one. Do you prefer co-op or PVP?
1: Mm, I would have to say I prefer co-op mostly because I am trash and although I do love the competitive spirit, I also hate losing.
0: That's true. Me too. I'm trash at player versus player. I, I, I'm trash. Just straight up trash. I don't care enough to be competitive. I, 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 it's a flaw when it comes to competitive gaming in a lot of ways because I don't take it. I maybe don't take it seriously. Um, but I I just, it's a game. It's a it's a freaking game. It's a game. God. Oh, now I'm gonna get I'm gonna get more worked up telling people that it's a game than I am about the game itself. You know what I mean? Mhm. All right. Second question: What is the longest amount of time that you think that you've played games nonstop?
1: Hmm. That is a tough one. Mhm. You know, I'd have to say it's somewhere between twelve and fourteen hours.
0: Nice. What about yours? You know, I'm trying to think if I ever did a 24-hour run. I don't know if I did. I can tell you that there have been some times I've easily done 18 to 20 hours easily. Uh, you know, just games I'm super excited for sitting my butt in a chair and playing all day. I I have no doubt I've done 18 to 20 hours. Yep, I'm a loser. Oh well. Video games. No
1: shame in that. <laughs>
0: Well, I think that about does it for Half-Life. Rob, um, anything that you want to add before we wrap I've up I've said all that I have. That's it? That's all you That's have for it. today?
1: Sure is. I have my one good piece of research.
0: <laughs> well, uh, speaking of research, Rob, if any of our listeners would like to do their own research and find some of the notes to our show where they could find links to all the sources we use, Where would they go? Well, Dave, it's great that
1: you asked and you described where all those things can be found. So everything that Dave mentioned can be found at MemoryCardLane.com. As Dave said, you can find more information about our episodes, including sources, links, and more information. You can find a little bit of information about our podcasts, such as some fun facts about Dave and I. Fun fact about me, I'm a huge procrastinator. Just got to keep that out there. You'll also find links to our Discord and our Patreon. And as well, you can find links to our social media. Dave, what's your social media?
0: I'm on Twitter at David underscore is underscore wrong, where I tweet things that are wrong because I'm wrong all the time. That's it. Everyone tells me I'm wrong. Might as well live the mantra. That's well, it. Dave,
1: you might normally be wrong, but you're right about being wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Man, that's a... that. Man, that's a conundrum. Isn't that a paradox? Hmm. Wibbly wobbly. What about you? Where are you on social media these days? Well,
1: Dave, I can be found playing games on good old Twitch at Fat Boy Rips. F A T B O I R I P Z.
0: Rob, what are you ripping exactly?
1: You know, mostly tires. <laughs> big smoky
0: burnouts.
1: (laughs) Ask Dad. He took the Mustang out for a spin.
0: No, he did not. Yes,
1: he did.
0: I don't even want to know. No, really, I don't want to know. that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Eh, It's
1: not nearly as bad as you think.
0: I'm sure. Ripping tires. Yeah, because that's exactly what you're ripping, you young whippersnapper. Rippersnapper. Well... I think that'll do it for another episode. Rob, why don't you thank the people like you normally do? Well, Dave, like you said,
1: I want to thank everyone for listening. It means a lot to us. We hope you're enjoying it. We hope you continue to enjoy it. We hope you continue listening. We hope you get involved. We hope for a lot of things. But at the end of the day, we just got to say thank you for listening.
0: What, Dave? What were, we, what were we always told running, uh, growing up when we when we wanted things? if you want in one hand and then shit in the other, which one's going to get full first? Remember that?
1: Uh, no, I can't say that I do.
0: That was a famous dad thing. If I said I'd want something, dad would say, well, you can want in one hand and shit in the other, but I guarantee only one of those is going to get full. Or something along nah, those lines. he
1: wants to stop that with you and Chrissy.
0: <laughs> yeah, probably. I guess old age makes you mellow. Right you are. Well, no, Dave, does it? Yeah, I don't know if it does either. All right, well, Rob, next week we're going to continue our trend of looking at some of the best games of all time, like we did this week, as we go all the way back to 1998 and we delve into one of the games that's completely changed the way that gamers look at 3D combat and exploration. You know, it's hard to find any modern 3D gaming mechanic that doesn't borrow influence from next week's title which is 1998's Legend of Zelda: Ocarina of Time. Rob, you're a fan of Ocarina of Time, are you not? That I am, Dave. I have put
1: I have put a good amount of hours into it, so mostly because of the Water Temple.
0: So you're going to have some things to talk about next week.
1: Well, considering though, currently in the middle of a playthrough, I should have at least a couple of things to talk about.
0: <laughs> so you're going to write next week's episode, right? Uh eh, we'll see. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to solve some puzzles across time and look at all the reasons why Ocarina of Time is in fact rated as one of the best games of all time. So join us again next week as we take another trip down memory card
1: lane.